name, amen. And so when Jesus sends his disciples out, he says the disciple is not above his teacher or servant above his master. If they called me, who is the master, who I am your teacher, they called me Beelzebul, which means Lord of the Flies, which is a reference to Satan or demonic forces. If they demonize me, then they will obviously persecute you. And so his warning is, do not be afraid. Do not fear. That is what he sends them with. And that is what he's giving us this morning, that we would sit here at the feet of Christ and and take this time to consider your life and your fear, anxieties and the things that make you nervous, particularly in this context of how Jesus is addressing them, is fear of men. Fear of men, particularly in the context of persecution, particularly in the context because of association with the name, Jesus. Think of that detail as we read. Here is his warning to them. Matthew 10, 26. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And that's Jesus' word for us this morning. It's persecution, the problem of actually having fear. Because he says clearly a disciple is never above his master. A slave is never above his Lord. We will not outgrow Jesus. Jesus lived a life in this world. A life as real as yours and mine this moment. And the path that God had ordained for him was a path of suffering and persecution. Now, we could say, well, we don't experience persecution very much. And I would grant if we take a real definition of persecution, that that is mostly the case. We live on standing on the shoulders of many millennia of Christianity in a Western culture. And we live in a very unique period of time that truly is bizarre. If you remember it all from last week, speaking about even in a Christendom in Europe, that one third of everybody who's graduated from Geneva would have been killed within three years, pastors, within a Christian Europe. So we live in a remarkable time where we have gleaned so much wisdom from God, from the scriptures. But the persecution that maybe we don't always notice or feel or experience is because of the very last part of his warning to us, is association. To what extent are you and I truly associating ourselves with Jesus Christ in the public domain of ideas, in the marketplace of discourse. 
That is also a separate question. To what extent truly have we associated ourselves with Jesus in hostile environments? And the reason we might say, well, I really don't do that much. I just kind of mind my own business, raise my kids, go to church, do my job. And that's about it. And if something comes up, I might say something about Jesus or the gospel. And I usually mind my peace. And that's good. And we're supposed to live a, a quiet life and a peaceable life. But there is something here that he's been given to his disciples to go out and proclaim the gospel. An offensive gospel that says that it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than such and such town. That is more than just going to work. That's actually going out and saying Jesus is Lord. Now if you do that regularly and consistently, I think these verses will take on a whole new life. The idea of fearing other men. Fearing other people or being ostracized or losing your job because you consistently are mentioning the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of your life. This is where persecution becomes more real. Because we can guarantee one thing, our, our general culture is opposed to Jesus Christ. You know, if the Jesus of scripture that is, not the cultural Jesus, not the civic Jesus, not the uh, public religion of Jesus, but I mean the real Christ of scripture. There is a huge disconnect there. And if we were to enter in to the middle of that Venn diagram, that's where these verses take on a whole new life. And Jesus says, do not be afraid of them. Particularly, not fear in general, the fear of people. Fear no people, because fear is a powerful emotion. And he is trying to rip that out of them early on so that they are free. If you are fearful, you are bound. If you are fearful, you are in chains. You are the slave. You are not free to go and preach the gospel. The Ephesians passage is saying, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The feet that bring good news are the ones that run swiftly to pronounce that the king has won his battle. He's won his battle. Therefore, those feet are not prisoners of war. They're not shackled in chains of fear. The feet have to go. But they can't go if they're afraid. And so if he's going to send his men out to preach his lordship, they cannot have this fear. It will limit them and hinder everything they plan to do. And secondly, they cannot have this fear because fear is worship. And it is wrong to worship anything that is not God. We think of fear always in the context of just being afraid of something. But fear is also reverence and admiration. And you cannot help but worship those who you fear. And fear those who you worship. If you are afraid of somebody, it's because you value them. You think of their opinion very highly. And you don't want to paint yourself in a corner with them in any way that would make yourself uncharitable toward them. You have an unhealthy, when it comes to Jesus, an unhealthy reverence for somebody. Or even down to our own life, that we would fear someone else for the sake of our own life. Means that we actually worship our own life and don't actually see that Jesus Christ is our life. That we are already seated with him in the heavenly places. And this is not a pious tautology 
or just something we say as a platitude that yes, my life is up there with Jesus. No, your, your real life is with Jesus. Therefore, do not fear anyone who ever would claim to take your life. They can not touch your life. And so here is Jesus explaining how this works. The solution to fear, he says, is simply uncovering the mask. One of the things that's so scary about masks, especially at Halloween and stuff, is because you don't know what's behind the face. Especially about clowns, because they're kind of scary and off-putting because they look so happy. And they're happy and it's a disconnect in your mind. This is a happy face, but it's a dangerous face. And then you make a bunch of movies about that. Well, what if you could take off the mask and see what it is all about? This is Jesus trying to take away fear. He says, have no fear of them. Because nothing is covered which will not be revealed. Okay? Nothing is hidden that will not be made known. Have no fear of them because nothing is ever going to be covered in this world. No one will get away with anything. And you would think, that's ironic because that makes me even more afraid. What do you mean everything's going to be exposed? All of my life is there to be seen. I'm actually more afraid now. Thank you very much, Jesus. The gospel frees us from this, of course. But anyone who would do wrong to you Anyone who would do any wrong to you will never get away with it. Believing that down to our bones frees us to know that we can be about our master's business and let the results fall as they may. The revelation that Jesus gives is here in the gospel. All our sins, past, present, and future, are covered. Outside of Christ, there is no covering. Everything is just purely ripped open. It's like a garment. The final book of scripture is called Revelation. There will be a day in which Jesus will reveal himself. And when he reveals himself, he will also rip off all of your clothes too. And it will be a terribly frightful day for those who are not clothed in the righteousness that he gives. And that will be the day in which there will be a reason to see why there is no need for fear of anyone who has breath in their nostrils. Today, revelation can happen. This is the gospel we preach. Today is the day of revelation. The gospel is a revelatory doctrine. You are speaking that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because he is Lord, it is not as though you are just saying one piece of information or another quizzical fact for information to know. You are saying that Jesus Christ is Lord, announcing his lordship, that he had stomped on the head of the serpent, that he had conquered sin and death, and his final enemy will be this total swallowing of Sheol itself, the death of deaths. He will conquer that. Announcing that truth is backed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the Holy Spirit accompanies the Word of God, there is a period of actual revelation, or what we could say uncovering, this is what the word means. And that revelation is what we call actually being converted, seeing the Lord for who He is prior to the final day. So today is the day of revelation, that we actually are children of light and walk in the light. It's described in 2 Corinthians 3. We all, Paul says, 
describing us as Christians, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. Presently now in this moment, he's saying to those first century Christians, you now, those living in the city of Corinth, who have never actually seen Jesus, but I came and preached Christ to you, and you were changed. Right now, your face is unveiled. He has taken it off. He has been revealed. You've seen the glory of the Lord. And you are being transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. We live in this. This is our life now. This is how we are week by week, day by day, trying to behold more of the glory of Jesus Christ through the word, by the spirit, in prayer, being filled. The veil has been taken away. Jesus Christ has shown himself to you. So revelation has happened. And now today in the same exact time, not only has Jesus revealed himself, but also our sins are revealed. Again, it is a small picture of the final day to come. There is this in Scripture called the day of the Lord. But in Scripture, there are many days of the Lord. Many days of judgment were called days of the Lord. The final of it all in Revelation is the day of the Lord in which will be no more other days. But any individual conversion, any moment in which you came to see Jesus Christ was also a day of the Lord. It was a day in which you encountered the living God. And in that encounter, two things were revealed. Jesus he took the veil off your face. He showed you his glory, his wonder, his beauty, his love. It raptured your heart and you came to him. At the same time, when ripping that veil off your face, he showed all of your blemishes and marks and scars. All of your moral failings and sins. They were exposed at the exact same time before the light of his glory as you beheld him in the gospel. So not only Jesus is revealed, all of our sins are revealed in this conversion. And this is the most beautiful word, the word atonement. Kafar in Hebrew means, sounds like the English word, cover. And the blood of Jesus covered it immediately. So you were never naked, except for a few seconds. That initial moment of exposing yourself before the Lord. That is, I am a sinner. I hide nothing before you, Father. This is my sin, and this is my sin, and this is wrong, and you are Lord, and I am not. You are eternal, and I am finite. You are life, and I have nothing in me. That moment where you expose the honesty of yourself to him. And then in the gospel, immediately, he accepts you that way. And he covers you. He takes that cloak and hides your nakedness for no one to ever see again. That moment you had with him. Where you were naked before him. No one else saw that. Does it sound like marriage? Do you understand the last chapters of the scriptures are nothing more than a marriage party? And he covered you. To reject this revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the glory of him found in the gospel by the Spirit, and being honest and open and revealing all of our sins before him and hiding nothing before him, to reject that now 
would only result in the inevitable later revelation to come. In which Jesus speaks about here. In which he says, there will be a revelation. There will be a time where nothing will be left uncovered. The most descript, one of the most foolish passages of anywhere in the Bible where we hear about what this day will be like is for, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10 is where Paul describes this revealing of Jesus. He will reveal himself again, but not only by the Spirit mediated through the Word. He will reveal himself in all his glory, with an immense powerful demonstration of his spirit, but actually in his own flesh once more. And that will be a day of revelation. It says this, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with all his mighty angels in a flaming fire. It says that he will inflict vengeance on all who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction and away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony to you who believe. Do you see that? There will be a day in which he will come and all those who have not obeyed our gospel will have to see him anyway. You could be revealed before Jesus in the gospel. Nakedness exposed and his brightness before you in the glories of scripture and the word. And the preaching and the fellowship. Come into the church. Find Jesus Christ that way and you will. And if not, he will come to you and he will reveal himself to you. And Jesus is saying that will be the day. Everything will be uncovered. And Revelation 6 says this, when describing that day, when he reveals himself that way, he, we are told, this, this image is, is absolutely remarkable. We are told, Revelation 6, 16, that they will be calling for the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of whom, the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Listen to that verse. They will call out to the mountains that cannot be moved, that weigh an unmeasurable amount of thickness of earth. Cover us this day of revelation. It won't just be a clothes that we wish would cover you from the glorious light of God. They would say, no, we need the mountains, we need the depths of the earth to keep us from him. This impenetrable source of creation which he himself made were the mountains and it will serve them nothing. Nothing. From what? The wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb. Before he sends his men out, he says, you are but lamb, lamb, sheep. Amidst many wolves. And anyone who messes with his sheep, there will be a day where the sheep actually win. There will be a wrath of the Lamb. This oxymoronic phrase that makes no sense of all. But this is the Lamb who is preached over the gospel of millennia now. 
That he is the one to go to. He is the one to find peace. He is a lamb. His burdens are easy. He will not reject you. Come to him now. Expose yourself before him. He will cover you in his wool. He will cover you with his skin. The very first animal ever sacrificed by Adam was covering his own nakedness. It's been a theme through all of scripture. Come now and be covered. Because there will be a day in which the mountains will not be your recourse. They will not be able to cover you from him. And you will wish to be under the mountains before him. That is amazing. This idea of revelation. To be uncovered. The impenetrable mountains serving no purpose at all. This wrath of the lamb. Oxymoronic phrase. That there would be a lamb who brings wrath. Because he is so loving and so good and so tender and so kind. He is a lamb and he is righteous and he made the mountains. He is God. He is Yahweh. He is the one of ancient of days. And he has all power and authority and therefore he must bring wrath. But it is not even in accord with his nature. For he is not like us. He is not evil like us. Yet he must be full of vengeance because of all of our evil. That even we would bring violence out of this Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who was slain for you before the foundations of the world. How remarkable. And so Jesus says there is no need to fear these people who threaten you. They're playing checkers. And we're playing chess talking to a friend this past week about that and I think that's a good analogy he says do not fear those who can kill the body and cannot kill the soul and this is the next phrase would never let Jesus be licensed as a professional counselor You'd rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell I mean, can you imagine sitting across from a counselor and being like, I've really been struggling with fear and I'm worried and anxious. And then Jesus takes his notepad and he looks up and he says, well, that's not a big deal. Let me tell you about hell. That, that's his method on counseling you out of your fear. I don't know if he would get licensed, but that's the wisdom of the Lord. To say, no, no, no. We don't need a coddle. We don't need to soften the edges. You just need to know that that fear you have, that angst inside you, that's a good thing. We just need to channel it at the right thing. You're fearing the wrong stuff. If you can fear the right stuff, all your other fears will go away. You'll be bold. You'll be fearless. If you can get your fears to look at the right thing. And so then he goes on to say, let me tell you what to fear. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He fights fire with fire, you could say. Fear with fear. If you have fear, you fight your fear with your fear. You don't run away from your fear. You go at your fear with a greater fear. Now obviously fighting fire with fire, this phrase we use, is that you're using your enemy's weapons against them. You're fighting fire with fire. Now Jesus disabused his disciples of all of this when he sent them out with no extra sandals, bags, or swords and says, now get out there like lamb and watch out because they're a bunch of wolves. We do not fight with the weapons of this world. Second Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty 
mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. It would be more valuable to have 10 people fearless than 10 people with swords. If you have no fear, you are ready for this battle. If you have swords and machinery and political devices, you cannot wage war for the kingdom of God. You are useless. You are just as easily turned into a Judas before any others. He is making real spiritual soldiers. And those soldiers do fight fire with fire as far as we talk about fear. You fight fear with fear. This is how God, this is how Jesus approaches it for us. Let us listen in. He says this, Do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It is okay to be afraid of hell. It is okay to talk about hell. It is okay to preach about hell. Even though it would actually produce maybe psychological distress or some type of emotional manipulation, the problem with all that is, this is exactly what Jesus wants us to think about. He wants you to think about this morning. Think about your hell. Gehenna is the word. It is the garbage heap south of Jerusalem. A massive deep ravine in which all the ancient trash flowed. And the fire of that garbage heap was always perpetually burning because the garbage was always perpetually provided as the city continued to thrive. And this garbage heap, we're told in Isaiah 66, is where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's the Hinnom Valley. Now, to pass through that idea of fire, fighting fire with fire, it's how you fix all sorts of problems. So, for example, think of the actual heart. Think about actually having a fluttering of your heart. When we're afraid, you kick in your adrenaline and your heart beats faster. But when we actually have an abnormal heartbeat or atrial fibrillation, they say your heart is abnormally beating too fast. And one of the solutions for that is to cauterize the heart. You actually bring heat to the muscle and you kill the nerves that are causing the fluttering. It's exactly what Jesus is trying to do to you and I this morning. If your heart flutters with fear, you just need to think of the fires, the heat of hell. Let that be your dread. Try to pass through that in your own righteousness. And you will cling to Jesus like a child. And all the other fears and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And then all of a sudden, your heart palpitations are gone. Before in the old world, when they wanted to contain a fire without having appropriate plumbing and hoses and fire systems, they had a back fire, they called it. So if a fire was catching a blaze through the woods and the wind was taking it away, trained firemen would go yards down and start their own fire ahead of that fire and horseshoe that fire around with their very own fire, fighting fire with fire. So the wind, the fire brush ran west and it came to the already charred remains of the man-made fire, there was no more nutrients, no more trees. It was quenched. It was exhausted. There was nothing there for the fire to burn and then it would die. That is exactly what Jesus is doing with us this morning. He is trying to burn you under the worst pains of hell so that you would cling to him 
And then the fires are gone. There is no other place for you to be afraid. There is no other anxiety this world can offer you. If God has caused his righteousness to rest upon you and has brought you through this wrath because of his son. This is that what we call the fear of God, he says. To have appropriate fear of God, not fear of men. The same passions that rage in that first fire that could spread across the whole forest must be outmatched and outdone by a more encompassing fire. The same type of fear that wrecks our heart It must be outmatched and outmaneuvered by a greater fear of the Lord. For if our fear of the Lord outmatches our fear of men, then we will fear no men. And then if you fear no men, you will be free. Because you give your fear to your superior. You give your fear to your Lord. You give your fear to what you worship. And we are told to worship one true God. And there is no other. So we will fear none but God. And I can sound great this Sunday. Tomorrow we will fear none but God. It's so easy for us to say that when we're not in Afghanistan. But this is how the kingdom goes. There is only one Lord. This fear of God outside the gospel is petrifying. But in Jesus Christ, this is beautiful. Why would you ever fear those wretched men who are like you and I? Fear the one who is good. Listen to how fearing God is described in Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. How greatly he delights in his commandments. To fear God is to be blessed. It is to sing with praise. And it is to have delight. There is no angst or fear of retribution in the gospel. This fear we have for God is a fear wrapped up in joy. Wrapped up in love. Psalm 33 Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his loving kindness. To fear God is to fear the one who loves your soul with unmerited loving hesed grace. The, that, that word is so beautiful. You cannot exhaust that love. And that is opposed to producing you. That fear, that abnormal, holy love he has for you is so bizarre and so off-putting and so counter to everything you'd see in this world that it causes you fear. Who is this God who loves me so? What being could do such a thing to reflect upon the cross and think of your own wretchedness and his love for you day in and day out, every day you never deserved it. On your worst day, you think there's not a possible chance he could ever love you and he loves you more than he ever loved you before because it rolls over to the next day and the next day and the next day and the eternal fires of hell cannot, cannot be anything but only quenched by the oceans of his love. And then you realize that that is your eternity and that your right life is hidden with him right now in that moment and you're free and you fear him because of this amazing grace he has been given that is what 
the scriptures define as fearing God. And if our hearts are raptured with that kind of love, that kind of concern for God, then what others might have to say about us is foolish. You don't care because you don't worship them for they are just men. And then, then you're free to actually go out and preach the gospel too because you just don't care what happens. So, we must choose who we fear. Do not fear the ones who hate you. To sum it all up, it's as simple as this. Don't fear the ones who hate you. Fear the one who loves you. Why would you ever fear those who hate you? Perfect love casts out all fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts it all out. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you're afraid, you just don't know how much he loves you yet. You just don't know how much he loves you. Listen to your Lord. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Two sparrows sold for a penny. They're nothing. They're just birds. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. The hairs on your head are numbered. He knows you. He knows you. You will die when it is your time to die. And you will live as long as you are to live. And you will always be, from that point to the next, within his hands of love. Fear not, therefore. You're of more value. Oh, what an understatement. When the Son of God's blood is for your life. And he would also happen to say, by the way, you are more valuable than many sparrows too. Let us fear that, Lord. Dear Father. Lord, we thank you that you have put your blood upon us. Lord, the mountains cannot atone for our sin. The mountains may never be an appropriate cover. Lest we dig to the center of the earth to hide from you, Lord, it will not work. Lord, we are here because we know the only sure place to be. is covered by your blood. To be covered that way, Lord, is to be free from all fear. So, Lord, all of this was the beginning. And this prayer will echo into tomorrow and the rest of our lives. And I trust it, Lord, in your hands. That as a result of what we have just meditated upon, we ask you, Lord, to transform us so that we might not fear men and only fear you. Give us this spiritual grace now through this prayer as we receive it with open hands, as we receive all of your good gifts that come to us from your Son.